0: How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now, let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to Life's Key 3, where we look at how do you learn yourself, love God, and live connected, because all three of those things are necessary in order to have a life of earthly excellence and sacred significance. We are walking through significant passages of Scripture this year, and today we are in the Gospel of John in the New Testament, and we are still in Chapter 3. Chapter three in John's Gospel has some of the most well-known and rich verses that exist in all of Scripture. Last time we talked about verse sixteen. Yep, John three sixteen, and we looked at how the, this this verse that has probably is the most proclaimed verse out of all of the Bible that summarizes the gospel in one sentence was not proclaimed. In front of thousands. It wasn't even spoken to Jesus' disciples. It was spoken to one man who came curious to know who Jesus really was, left probably still with his doubts. And yet, this is the man that Jesus spoke these most infamous words to. We never know the impact that we will have, not just on an individual, but our words that may transform into uh, to affect generations of people in a conversation that we have one-on-one. We don't really know how Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus ended. We just read the the ending of, of what Jesus said or what was recorded in what was said, and then the Gospel of John goes on, and it starts talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And he also was a proclaimer of truth. And he came to prepare the way for Christ, to open their hearts, to say, hey, someone is coming. You know, it was the way that God followed through on what he had established in the Old Testament. And that was that everything that was true was supposed to be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Jesus didn't need. John, the, the Baptist to come in order to give credibility to his ministry. Jesus didn't need that, but the people needed that. And so God meets people where they are, and he, he says, okay, I'm going to do everything I can so that all of the doubts that you're going to have, that the Christ has actually finally really come, I'm going to do everything I can so that you will have as much reason to believe in him as possible because I want to make it easy for you. I don't want to make it hard for you. We looked last time at the fact that by default we live in a position of condemnation, and that's the reason Jesus didn't need to come with more condemnation because we already live under condemnation. Jesus came because we needed salvation. And so John the Baptist was a way for for God to be able to demonstrate, hey, here's someone else who is going to speak to you and through whom I am going to say, hey, look, this really is my son who's coming. And so John takes us over. And there was a dispute that arose between an individual about what was the appropriate rites of purification and John's disciples. And we don't know who this person is. Was We don't know exactly what they were disputing about, but as a result of this dispute, this person comes to John and he really is trying to, uh, we don't know whether he's really trying to stir up jealousy and division or if they are looking for clarification or, or we don't really know the motives of this person. And I think it's important that we understand that we don't attribute motives to this person, but rather what we can look at is they come to John and, and says, hey, you know what, there's somebody else, this guy Jesus over here, and he's got a lot of people who are going over to follow him. It's like uh, people are leaving your platform, and they're over there hopping onto the Jesus platform. And you got a problem with that? And it can be easy for us to just kind of gloss over John's response because we can say, well, he was John the Baptist. I mean, he knew that Jesus was the Christ. We need to remember that John the Baptist was a real person. He struggled with things as well. And we're going to look at that in a, in a later chapter of, of Scripture where we see that he himself even came to the place of saying, Jesus, are, are you really the Messiah? When things got to a certain point in his own life, when he ended up in a set of circumstances that he did not see coming, and he didn't see how this was God's plan, even at that point, he began to doubt if Jesus was who he said he was. So we're not going to get into the the details of that today. But it's important to understand that when John gives the response that he does in these uh, verses It's not because he's perfect. It's not because he has no struggles, no doubts. Did he ever have a ounce of jealousy? Did he ever once entertain the notion that, hmm, this isn't quite how I thought it was going to be. You know, I kind of had this idea that Jesus and I were going to partner up and together we'd build this really big following that maybe I would would go from being the prophet who came before him to his right-hand man. We don't know what was in John's heart and in his, his mind, but we just need to understand he was a human being like us who had his own struggles and his own issues. And so when John answers this individual, which God felt was so worth our understanding that he made sure to inspire the writer John, the disciple of Christ, to put this in his gospel. And John comes back, and he doesn't get into an argument with this person about the rites of purification. He doesn't get into an argument with him about um, his own ministry. What he does is he points the way to Christ. This is what John had been doing through his entire ministry, was saying, I want to point you to the coming Christ. I want to point you to the Christ who is here now. And that's what he does with this individual. I think it's interesting that in the previous verses, some of the, the, the most important verse that we have throughout all of scripture, well, maybe not the most important verse, that's probably not the right way to say it. The most well-known verse in all of scripture is spoken by Jesus to one individual in a solitary conversation. Now, when John is having a conversation with this individual, we don't know when it took place, and we don't know if it was just the two of them or whether John's disciples or other people were a part of this. But we do know that he is having a one on one conversation. We just don't know if other people were listening in or not. But in this one on one conversation, he affirms repeatedly Jesus is the Christ. He's the one that needs. That, that you need. I'm not your salvation. He came from God. He came from above. He has the words of life. And then John says the words that as believers are very, very familiar to so many of us. And he says these words, he must increase. I must decrease. Seven words. He must increase, but I must decrease. In a world where we are bombarded with the need to have our brand and our platforms and to grow, 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 scale, scale, scale. Here's a course that will show you how to get more followers. Here's how you can get in front of dozens, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands. Here's how you can get on a bigger stage. Here's how you can promote yourself in a world that is about more, 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 bigger, 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 John nails it when he says, "Mm -mm, that is not the aim of my life. The aim of my life is actually to get smaller, and it is that he, Jesus, becomes bigger. John is indeed showing here that he is a disciple of Christ in the truest sense that all that he is doing is to point to Christ and he affirms that Christ came with the words of truth and that he speaks the words that God wants him to speak that he is the salvation and then he also affirms not just that Jesus is an option for salvation but that it is a requirement to believe in and to and to trust in him as the son of God, if a person is to escape the condemnation that they already live under. He is affirming what Jesus had already said to Nicodemus, and that is that by default, we are people who live in a state of condemnation. We live under the wrath of God unless and until we come to believe in Jesus Christ as the one and only true son of God who came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was resurrected, and through that we can have salvation and a right relationship with God. You know, the second key that I talk about in Life's Key Threes is to love God. It is to learn ourselves to love God and to live connected. And it can be easy, especially if we are already Christians, to kind of think, oh yeah, that sounds good. Um, I already kind of got that down. But here's the thing. Sometimes what we mistakenly do, is we learn about God and we kind of equate that with the same thing as loving God. And those two are not synonymous. Here's the truth. A lot of kids who grow up in Christian homes and going to Christian churches experience the gospel more as an inoculation against it rather than an invitation into it. I'm going to say that again. We have so many kids who grow up in Christian homes, going to Christian churches, and they experience the gospel message of salvation more as an inoculation, more as a vaccination than an invitation into the gospel. There's a lot of different factors that that are a part of that. And everyone ultimately is responsible for the choices they make, no matter what kind of upbringing they've had, no matter what kind of life experiences that they've had. God holds everyone accountable because the one thing that no one can take away from any other human being is the power to make their choices. You know, Victor Frankl wrote about this in his Uh, phenomenal book, Man's Search for Meaning, and he writes about seeing in the concentration camps in Germany in World War II about the difference that it made in prisoners who, who suffered equally in the very same conditions, having experienced the very same loss, often abuse, and torture. And one of the things that made a critical difference is people who said, I will still Choose my outlook. I will still choose what I'm going to focus on, what I'm going to think about, and what my purpose is going to be. So it's true that no matter what someone has experienced, they're always going to be responsible for the choice that they make about their lives. But what makes the difference between a person who experiences the gospel as an invitation and the person who experiences it as as an inoculation? You know, when we have a vaccination or an inoculation, what happens is we get just enough of something that we have a reaction to it, but the reaction to that actually builds up a defense against the very thing that we have injected into our bodies. It's a little strange how that works, but that's kind of how it works. And so we take in just enough that our bodies react to it so that we don't actually then um, absorb the full scale of that disease. And that's exactly what can happen with the gospel. And again, there's a whole lot of different factors for that, and I do not want to make it simplistic. And this is not about condemnation on anyone who has raised a child and done their absolute best to raise their child to love God to know the truth, and whose child has chosen to walk away from that. Because for one thing, until a person breathes their last, there is always, always, always the hope and possibility for redemption. The person who hung on the cross next to Jesus, who cried out just moments, hours away from death for God's mercy And what Jesus' response to him shows that it is never, never, never too late for someone to come to Christ, no matter what their previous life experience has been. But I think it is important if you are a parent to say, Am I really approaching and raising my child with the understanding they need the gospel? They need salvation. They are born with a sinful nature. And I will tell you, I understand how hard this is. You know, I have grandchildren now, and they are adorable, and of course, they're all brilliant, and I think just so much of all of them. But I will do them an injustice if I think or if I speak to them as if they are perfect little angels. Now, right now, they are all still at a very young age. And I do not believe that they've reached whatever that age is of of accountability yet. And I don't think there's a a set age for that. I think that's very much dependent, and God, God knows that. So I'm not attributing to them to say, I need to be looking at them with these suspicious eyes. I want to see them, and I do see them, as being designed and made in the image of God, and that they bear this amazing potential, just like their parents do. And they have beauty and, and, and um, goodness and everything. That is because they do bear the image of God, just as every person does. And it's not just that they're precious because of their capacity. It's just that they're precious because of who they are. But I will do them no good service if I treat them as they get older, as if they are just so amazing and wonderful and brilliant that they will not need to come to a point that they acknowledge they live under condemnation of sin and they will need to decide if they want to accept Jesus Christ as their savior or if they don't. And I pray for them, even from these very young ages, that they will. So as a parent or a grandparent, even though we love our kids and hopefully we think the best of them and we dote on them, We do not do them any favors if we do not address the reality that they have a sinful nature that does need to have redemption. Now, someday I will talk about this a little bit more because I have lived long enough to know that the reality of that has sometimes been very much mistaught and misapplied, and that we have harmed children. And youth by attributing all kinds of um, of motives to them about oh well that's just because they're they're sinful people that's why they are having that meltdown or that's why you know this teenager is going to their room and not really wanting to talk or all those kind of things so we have to be very careful that we do not misuse the gospel to make false judgments and assumptions about our kids because that can do a tremendous amount of harm to our children. But what we can do is to take a cue here from John the Baptist, and we can just continue to pour into our young people the truth about Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he was sent from God, that he did come from heaven, that everything that he spoke was and still is true. And that includes that we live under condemnation, but that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. And the last item that I want to point out here today is the, the closing words that, that John records in chapter 3. And that, those are the words of John the Baptist, which are, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So he uses a couple of different words here, and that's important because belief is not knowledge of, it is not agreement with, and it is not assenting to. Belief in its true form is going to include obedience you know, I can believe that that stop sign right down the street means that I'm supposed to stop my vehicle. I can totally believe that. And I can still just keep going right on through it because, yeah, I can believe that it tells me I need to stop. But that in itself is not going to be what says, do I actually, though, believe that in the sense that it applies to me? And it's easy for us to think that belief is just a knowledge of or even an agreement that, hey, that's a good idea or that's the way it ought to be or that's what something ought to happen. But true belief means that I will align my life's choices, what I think and what I do with what I say that I believe. True belief requires congruency. True belief is lived out in congruency. And this is a true principle that we see throughout Scripture, that wherever there is a incongruence between what somebody says and what somebody does, that we always pay attention to what somebody does because we can say all kinds of things, but it's what we do with our actions that reveals the truth about who we really are. And so John closes chapter 13 by saying, and just being very specific, that, It's not just about believing in Jesus as a person, and it's not just saying, yeah, he was God's son, but true belief means I'm going to align my life to obey what he says that I need to do. All right, my friend, we're going to wrap up there with the third chapter in the Gospel of John, and we're going to look next week starting in chapter 4. And there's some, uh, some of the most fascinating stories and familiar stories that we have about Jesus' time here on earth in chapter four. So we're going to dive into that. Hey, if you haven't already, make sure that you visit stephaniepresents.com, sign up for highlights. It's a weekly newsletter that is going to encourage and strengthen you and give you a little, keep you a little bit updated on what's happening over here at uh, Stephanie Presents. And then also, if you are listening to the podcast here, then I invite you to subscribe. You can also subscribe if you are watching on YouTube. And then leave a rating and a review for the podcast. That helps the algorithms that be to bring this up so more people can hear about this. Remember this, because it is absolutely true. You have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.